I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to the Fried Egg Podcast. I'm Garrett Morrison. Today, we're talking about golf in the Monterey, California area, where I lived for five years. And here to discuss that with me is Brendan Porath. Brendan, how you doing? I'm great, Garrett. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to talk about this today. So the reason we're focusing on Monterey today is that this week, the U.S. Women's Open will be held at Pebble Beach for the first time. So we can start off just by talking about U.S. Women's Open a little bit, talk about Pebble Beach. You know, as this tournament is approaching, what are you looking out for? What storylines are you tracking going into the week? Uh, I think a prominent story and an obvious one is the venue, right? And, you know, we tend to focus that on that regardless at uh, the fried egg. And we're, we're entering or have entered, been in this era of, I think venues taking on an increased emphasis and prominence, certainly from the outside consumer, but also from the governing bodies and the organizations. And I think when I talk venue, I'm talking about the golf course itself. Uh, I'm not necessarily talking about infrastructure. I'd say the Ryder Cup remains kind of the lone wolf there where the primary concern is is commerce and, and what can be achieved on the grounds. But the venue push has certainly... Uh, morphed into uh, the women's game or transitioned over into the women's game. It's been a primary area of emphasis uh, with the PGA, the LPGA a little bit less so, but, but the other bodies out, you know, the USGA being the primary one and there's some cognitive dissonance. Why has this not happened? But you're, you're happy to be there. You're excited about women's golf going to Pebble beach. And I, I, I think it's, a, it's, you know, something to celebrate while also understanding it's 2023, and the women should have been playing in the cathedrals of American golf. They should have been. It, it shouldn't have taken until now. Um, there's been some, you know, championships here, but not, not a major like this, right? And not a modern era major. And I think it elevates the women's game in a way that it should have been before, um, but happy that it's doing so now. I, I saw... You know, it's just a random aside. I, I saw that there was someone was sharing Ted Williams's Hall of Fame induction speech on Twitter, and I, I hadn't really seen it. I, I'd read it before, and he used it as a moment, kind of an amazing moment to advocate for Negro Leagues players being mm -hmm. like, this isn't a true Hall of Fame. This isn't like Satchel Paige. Like they never had an opportunity to play against me. Um, of course, women's golf is is a separate league and a different sport. And I'm not suggesting, you know, they should be playing against the men, but it is the game of golf and they should have had access to these kind of cathedrals. And we're seeing it a little bit with Anwa now, but uh, that's what I'm most excited about. The this championship, these, this sport being elevated and having th this access in this stage. Absolutely. And so there are two things that, you know, you sort of keep present at all times. One is that we're happy that the U.S. Women's Open is going to Pebble Beach. That's a great thing. And it's a moment in history that needs to be recognized. 
At the same time, we also can feel a little bit of regret that for a long time, the U.S. Women's Open did not go to worthy venues every year. And that history needs to be remembered as well. You know, this adjustment should have been made a long time ago, but it is good that it's being made now. So, yeah, going to be really uh, cool to see uh, Pebble Beach uh, this coming week with a different set of players. We're so used to seeing the men play it. I'm very curious to see how it goes for the women. Are there any holes in particular for you that you're excited to see the women grapple with as opposed to how we've gotten used to seeing the men play this course? I think, you know, six, obviously for me, is just it's the stunner hole, right? Uh, there's many stunners for for me. I'm not kind of covering new ground here with, with suggesting six is a good golf hole, but I'm curious to see how they set it up, how the women, how you know, where the tee box is, how they play it. Um, I'd say for the men, it's largely, you know, smash it up the left, regardless of whether it's, you know, fairway or not. And then you launch one to the front of the green, right? And it runs on. I, I'm just curious, like, is that second shot a real sort of blind? Uh, I mean, it, it's obviously a blind shot, but but what is, how will that play? How far back will it play? Is it a real three-shot hole? Um, you know, or is it the, the second shot getting home a real heroic shot, right? To get there. It's already a tough blind shot, but to get it there, is it is it an extra bit of heroism that, that maybe was intended? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm certainly excited about six. And, and then I'm curious, generally, like where the tee boxes are positioned. You know, we've seen the PGA Tour dabble with that tee at nine, right? That That's kind of to the right of... of eight like where do they experiment with this so i yield my time to you though you are intimately familiar with with the venue i've been there i've seen championships there but but for me some of these par fives and six being prominent uh is what i'm looking at yeah i mean i i suppose i am familiar with it at this point but the funny thing is is that when i lived very close to pebble beach golf links Right. I wasn't all that familiar with it because I didn't spend that much time out there. I went to Stillwater Cove on picnics with my family uh, using the coastal access that they provide out there pretty frequently. So I saw a lot of holes four and five and 17, which are kind of the, the holes that you see when you when you go out to Stillwater Cove and and use that sort of public portion or public access portion of the property. But I didn't I mean, I didn't play Pebble Beach a whole lot when I lived in Pebble Beach. I was living on the campus of Stevenson School, which is a boarding school where I used to teach. I lived in a house on campus with my family. And so we were right next to Spyglass Hill, right next to Poppy Hills, right next to Pebble Beach. But the place that I played was Poppy Hills. So, but since then, you know, as a member of the golf media, I've gotten the privilege of playing the course a few times. And that has been really exciting. And, you know, there's a lot of critiques to be made of Pebble Beach, but you have to remember that at the base of it, this is an extremely stunning, remarkable golf course. One set of holes, or one hole, really, that I'm excited to see the women play. And it's a set of holes in the sense that there are other holes at Pebble Beach that function sort of like this. But focus in on the 10th hole, which is supposed to be a long, brute of a par four right along the coast. The big challenge of the hole is not just that 
cliff and then Carmel Beach below it. You know, that's the the hazard that everybody focuses on. Your eye goes straight there when you're standing on that tee. But I think the real challenge of the hole is the left to right tilt of the fairway. That tilt is so significant there. That slope is a lot more severe than it looks on TV. On TV, it looks kind of flat. But when you're there, it's a very high left side to a very low right side. It's a little bit flatter the closer you get to the coastline. And that's a principle that you see throughout Pebble Beach. That's the same case on nine. It's the same case on six. So on 10, you have that massive tilt, right? And the more you play away from the coast off the tee, the more you have to grapple with that slope on your approach. The ball is going to be below your feet as a right-hander or well above your feet as a left-hander, which is going to promote a ball flight that takes your ball to the right, which is toward the coast. And so everything is going to be pushing you that direction, especially if you play away from the cliffs off the tee. If you go a little bit nearer to them, then you'll have somewhat more level of a lie. And you'll also have a safer angle into the green, which does open up from the coastline stretch. And so that's how the hole is supposed to function. Now for the men, 10 has become a much shorter hole. That hole is just, you know, it's not what it's supposed to be. That should be like a driver three-wood hole. And so I'm curious to see what it becomes for the U.S. Women's Open, what tees they use, and what that hole is like for the distance that the women hit the ball. And whether the strategies of it, having to do with the slope and the angles, become more relevant for them. Uh, an interesting aspect to that for a championship like this, too, um, and Jeff Ogilvy, I think, has mentioned this to Andy or somewhere in the podcast, Starting on 10 split tees. I mean, this is it's pretty dramatic difference. It's that certainly is, at Pebble Beach with the one and two yeah. pr- being fairly gentle. Obviously, it, it's something drivable. that PGA Tour would do to Patrick Reed, right? That's, right, that's right. What do. Yeah. I mean, you get that, you know, <laughs> just you get kidding. that first tee time, early morning tee. You're, you go early at off 10, and it's kind of a it's a real way to wake up, right? It's a real real way to kind of slap you in the face compared to going off one, right? And you have some tough cold holes. Fourteen can kind of you know punch you, and you know one through four aren't the hardest, right? It's a pretty dramatic difference, and and so that I know Ogilvy has talked about that. It can be a pretty significant impact depending on what time you catch your uh, off ten uh, tee time. So yeah, so so. You know, that that brutality of the 10th hole, I'm excited to see whether that comes back. And and I don't mean that in a sadistic way. I'm just saying that's what the hole should be. It hasn't been that for a long time for uh, fields in men's golf. And so I'm, I'm just curious to see if it if it comes back in that way. Same case for 13. A lot of the a lot of similar dynamics are relevant there. And then 18, you know, like you were discussing with six. What what is eighteen? Is is it is it reachable at all? Is it an automatic three shot hole? Are the women going to be trying to play kind of close to the little cliffs there, or are they going to shy away from it and take the long route around? Um, I I really would like to see the position of those balls in the fairway, and I hope that the telecast shows us some of that. But 
relying on things from the telecast, especially when it comes to women's majors, has become a little bit difficult, right? Sure. Does a tree come into play there yeah. more prominently than it has, obviously, for the men? You know, Andy and I made a note often of Ches Reeve playing that hole. I think it was like he hit it the exact same distance in 2019. It was like two. 17 or something a deliberate sort of uh i don't know hybrid of some sort i'm not sure but like what what how do they play that how do they set it up i I think 6 18 uh certainly Uh, it's just great to see a place that we are so familiar with play perhaps a little differently and hoping the usga and the telecast bring that out bring that aspect uh, now speaking of the usga bringing it out i have to mention some of the mowing lines that we saw okay. at the media okay. day for the U.S. Women's Open. Um, you know, it's it's pretty typical stuff for championships at Pebble Beach. We're familiar with the shrinking of the fairways that happens between the Pro-Am and a U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Like, this mm-hmm. is not unprecedented. I had a little bit of hope that they wouldn't do the same thing for this field, that it wouldn't be as necessary in their minds to narrow the fairways because the length of Pebble Beach is still a great defense, I think, for the U.S. Women's Open field in a way that it's really not for a men's field. But when we went to the media day, we saw some mowing lines that, in my opinion, are just in the wrong place. And I understood why they did it, but I was still a little bit sad and stricken about it. They've brought in the mowing line from the left on number four. The left on that hole is the bailout away from the ocean. So they're essentially forcing players to play toward the coast on that hole. And fine, you know, you can that you can do that. Uh, maybe people will like seeing the players not get to bail away from the coast. But the way that hole works is that it should be an option that you play near the ocean. Right. That should be a choice that you make. Right. A risk that you've decided to take. Because if you go out to the left, that angle on your next shot into the fourth green is terrible. Right. Like it's such a hard short iron or or wedge from over there. It's it's really, really difficult. And so that's the punishment for going out to the left. But now that punishment has been doubled by the rough. And nobody would miss there intentionally. And so the choice has been taken away. It's not meaningful to play near the cliffs on that hole because everybody needs to. And so that's my objection to that mowing line on four. They've also, maybe more tragically, brought in the mowing line on six from the right. Now, the right side of six is the cliffs. Yes. And so if you play near the cliffs, if you take the risk of playing near the ocean, on the sixth hole in this tournament, then you're going to be in the rough, which is just backwards. You should be able to play out there for the reward of a more level lie. Because if you play up to the left, the ball's going to be below your feet for a right-hander, above your feet for a left-hander, and it's just going to be trickier to try to reach that green in two. Now, I get why for immense field, they might narrow that fairway and say, You know, nobody's going to be playing near the coastline anyway. We want them to have that challenging shot with the unlevel lie and see if they can execute it. They're probably going to be hitting an iron. And so we need to provide that extra challenge for them. But I don't think it's going to be irons for most of the women's field. 
I think it's going to be some head covers coming off. And I would have loved to have seen them get to play near the coast, take that risk so that they have a better lie and a better chance of pulling out that four wood, that three wood and going after the green from near the cliffs. It would be, it's, it's such a great shot. Like it's such, it's such a great hole. And that, uh, that, that new fairway line, it just sort of, it, 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 this might sound a little melodramatic, but it really, it breaks my heart. What did they bring it in? Are we talking about, you know, 15, 20 yards of rough now on the, on the yeah. coastline there? Okay. That's right. Okay. Yeah. A tiger shot in 2000, right? That infamous, the famous, not infamous, but famous shot was, that was, that was a buried and rough. No, where he, where he kind of muscles one up. To, to the it front. might have I been, was, yeah. Okay. I mean, he 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 was definitely hitting out a rough there. That may have been the mowing line at the. That might be the sta- that may have been the mowing line at the at that U.S. Open. I'm not exactly right. sure. I don't think it was the mowing line at the 2019 U.S. Open. I believe that fairway was all the way out to the cliffs. Now somebody yeah. can fact check me on that. I'll I'll check it after this podcast because uh, 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 yeah, I could go back to the shot link, but. Pretty sure that was a newfangled thing as as far as recent history is concerned at Pebble Beach, because we did talk to a couple of people who may have been involved in in that decision, and they described it as as something that is, you know, fresh for this championship. We're we're forcing players to take on the bunkers on the left and go up there, and again, it's just taking away that choice. Well, it's it's similar to what you just described about what you're excited for with ten, right? I mean, there's there's yeah. there's an option there to play to a flatter. Oh and man, what can we, you imagine if to... they brought in that mowing line? For I mean, they may have brought it in a little bit from the left, so that there's less of a bailout over there. I'm not exactly sure on that one, but if they had brought that in from the right on that little peninsula that's out there on the fairway, that would have been really tragic. Right, right. I just like with the best players in the world, we want to see them wrangle with variables that quite honestly, the rest of us don't like the rest of us just more often than not hit it and try to successfully move the ball forward. We, we don't have, we rarely have the ability to execute the strategy we want, like playing to a, a flatter part or having to hit off an uneven lie. Like we want to see them have to wrangle with those variables and make the choice between executing the strategy or executing an, un, you know, a shot off an uneven line. What's the choice there? And, mm-hmm. and so I think we want to see that from the best in the world. And it's a little unfortunate to hear maybe that some of that is being taken away in favor of, I don't know, brutality or, or right. score keeping, score protecting. And we often hear from people who focus on data-driven course management that angles as we're discussing them here aren't really relevant for elite pro players given their dispersion cones they can't reliably aim at a particular spot and hit it and so that affects the way that you should approach a golf course in terms of hunting angles now when it comes to the players in the u.s women's open field you know what they can do is hit really accurate shots they can be really precise if they have a wide fairway they can choose not necessarily a particular spot, but at least like a section of that fairway that is more aggressive or more conservative than another. And I think that if we gave this field wider fairways, that they would get to make those choices a little bit and it would be interesting to watch. Now, on the other hand, there's an argument that, you know, narrow fairways for extremely accurate players 
they can still work with those. And I think they'll still be able to work with a lot of the playing fields out at Pebble Beach. I think it'll be fine. It, it won't be something that's maybe even super noticeable to non-nerd golf fans. <laughs> but I uh, just had to note that it, it did. Yeah, it did make me a little sad to, to see some of those changes. Before we move off completely on four and six and some of the mowing lines, um, obviously those dispersion cones are a little tighter, as you mentioned, for the women, there's, there's a little more accuracy there. On four, do you think they set that up as drivable as it is for the men? Or maybe it, maybe, they had, <laughs> maybe they didn't intend four to be drivable in 19, but there were certainly most a handful of guys taking a rip and just trying to run it through the, that neck. Um, I wonder if that's an element for the women, if there's a tee box they set up that, that makes it, in theory, drivable? It's a good question. I, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure where they would need to put that tee box. I think something like it probably exists because there are a lot of different teeing areas at Pebble Beach, given that it's a resort course. So yeah, no, I'd, I'd be curious to to see that. They do, they do love having, you know, a drivable par four. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to make clear, not you know, it's not drivable in the way that they're bo- they're landing it on top of it. You know, it's, it's there were guys taking driver and trying to run it up as far as they could. Some ran yeah. it onto the front edge. It's it's not a pure sort of you know aerial attack there. So yeah, all right, all right, Brendan, let's take a quick break for an ad, and then when we're back, we'll do a little Monterey golf guide we'll kind of improvise it but we're going to be talking about monterey golf in general outside of pebble beach that's coming up this episode is brought to you by golf genius your club may use the golf genius tournament management system for your club events and tournaments At the Fried Egg, we use it for all of our events, and it has worked great for us. Registration, scoring, leaderboards, results, Golf Genius handles all of that and does it right. Golf Genius also has a great product for the Pro Shop staff. Golf Genius Golf Shop is used to streamline special merch orders, track stock orders, manage demo clubs, simplify staff scheduling, organize club repairs, and automate communication with club members. It's a great productivity tool that saves time, money, and hassles. But most importantly, it really improves member service, which is a big win-win. Hundreds of clubs are using the platform today and are fired up about the benefits. If you're involved in the golf shop business, we recommend you check out Golf Genius. Just go to golfgenius.com to learn more. All right, we're back to talk about Monterey golf in general. I have appointed myself the expert on this, and I apologize to everybody for doing that, but this is how it has turned out. I did live there for a while, and uh, fairly recently. This is it's where I was living before I started working for the Fried Egg, and I was living in what was, to me, free housing. Um, and so after I quit that job and decided to to join the fried egg, which is a decision that I still very much endorse and am happy about, one of, one of the downsides of that decision is that we had to uh, move to another state because we couldn't we couldn't afford the uh, real estate uh, in California anymore, much less in Pebble Beach where we were living. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so that's, that's the basic backstory for why I'm talking about, um, 
golf in Monterey. Maybe we could start by talking about public golf courses, but I'll kind of maybe turn things over to you a little bit, Brendan, and and hear you know what you're curious about when it comes to Monterey golf from the perspective of somebody who's you know I think you've been there a couple of times, right? I um, have. I've been yeah. there. Been there a few times. Obviously, was there in the, in the 19 U.S. Open. Not played. A ton you, of golf. You haven't there. played much around. That's what I was going to ask. Have you played like uh, Pacific Grove or Poppy Hills uh, or any of the courses not, around there? I walked Pacific Grove. I played um, played one course there that you would like to play. Play played the probably the best one in the area. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, very, that's right. I've very fortunate about that round to do that. Yeah, and, yeah of uh, course that might be considered the best course in America. <laughs> I think we know what we're talking about. But that's about it. I think, I, and I played inland at the, at the preserve one day. So that was that. I'd not played Pebble though. I, I guess I'm curious hearing you talk about living there. It's a very unique part of the country with unique clientele. Randomly, quickly, what's like the, what is like the, for lack of a better term, town gown relations between this giant resort that everyone wants and people who actually live there. I presume the people who live there, and I do like this is why I think you are an expert. You, you you can be the self-appointed expert because I think you look at it through a realistic, critical lens. Probably a lot of people who live there are drinking the Kool-Aid and, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not suggesting it's bad, but just objectively, right? Yeah, right. You are obsessed with Pebble Beach if you live there and you think it's the greatest course that's ever been made or, you know, the, the I just think you bring an objective lens to some of the drawbacks and certainly what makes it so great. I'm curious what it's like being a resident there and how you, you know, the, the, this attraction of this world famous course that's also kind of this machine of a resort now. And a lot of people in the area work for the Pebble Beach Company. So that's another right. thing. Like the Pebble Beach Company is a huge employer in the area. It's right. a funny little collection of towns out there. And it is a collection of towns. There's right. Monterey, there's Pacific Grove, there's Carmel by the sea, uh, as with the dashes is the full name of the town. Carmel is its own thing. Pebble Beach is also its own thing. It's the it's the area within the gates, right? It's the Del Monte Forest. It's where Pebble Beach, Cypress Point, the links of Spanish Bay, and Poppy Hills all are. All those courses are you know, in that area that we call Pebble Beach. Then there's the uh, inland town of, of Carmel Valley. There's Seaside and Marina, which are uh, the sort of outlying towns in the area, perhaps less picturesque, right? And so there's a lot of different experiences for people who live in the area. From the perspective of a golfer, the funny thing about living in the area is that unless you're a member of Monterey Peninsula Country Club, or Cypress Point, then more than likely, you're not playing golf at the most famous courses in the area. Instead, you're playing at a collection of different courses. And the thing is, some of those courses are really, really good. And and so those are the ones I'm excited about. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. So so Pebble Beach is, you know, nominally an accessible golf course. You can get on it. You don't have to, you know, yeah. you can pay. You can book a tee time. You don't have to yeah. It's not private. Is basically um, the only the only thing. But for me looking at it, it's 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 a pretty if not inaccessible, it's a pain it's going to be a painful trip cost-wise. And time-wise, for mo- most people, are, are probably traveling from a fair distance. And what I guess I'd want to know is what makes it worth your while. Where can you add, sort of, on top of that, the accessible, making that making that trip 
really sing and pop. What what else is in the area beyond sort of the showpiece of of, of spending the money at, at Pebble Beach to really make your trip that time that you spend getting out there uh, a little more uh, valuable and efficient? Okay, so I've got I've got a list of courses here. Now, first of all, Pebble Beach is astonishing. I'm not going to tell people you need to go play it because I would never tell anybody you need to spend two, three thousand dollars on anything, right? Because not every right. not everybody has that ability to just drop that amount of money on a golf course experience. You usually need to stay at the lodge in order to get a tea time, so that's another expense added on top of it. It is very pricey. I would say it's worth it. You know, if you can afford it, do it. Absolutely. It's 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 a once in a lifetime experience and get out there and do it. If the cost is too much for you, if you just don't want to spend that amount of money on a golf experience, totally understandable. I would say try to go to a day of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. You can get out on the course, you can go see every hole. It can be a fun tournament to watch since it's spread out among three different courses. The crowds are sometimes not that heavy on the first couple of days of that tournament. If you're not going to play the course, that's that's a really good alternative uh, way to experience it. All right. So what I'd recommend for the other courses, like for me, the highlights of the region in terms of public golf would be Pacific Grove, which is the municipal course of the town of Pacific Grove. That place has what is now a back nine, used to be the front nine that's in legitimate dunes. In fact, I would say it's probably in the best dunes in the area, aside from the dunes that are in one section of Spyglass Hill and a few holes at Cypress Point. There's a little dune system that those courses occupy on some holes that's pretty stunning too. But the dunes at Pacific Grove are absolutely incredible. And the routing of that nine holes is so good. There's a couple of dud holes, the 10th hole, the 18th hole, but every hole in between is just brilliant. And I love that golf course so much. It's my favorite place to be and play golf. Like literally, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else. If I had a, if I had a last round, I might go and, and play that nine holes a couple of times. The inland holes are not as good. I think they can be a little bit underrated. They get bashed to a degree that I think is a little bit unfair. But uh, the inland holes are the front nine. They're a little bit squeezed by the neighborhood now. There's some trees that uh, are there for safety reasons that that uh, limit the holes a little further. But one thing to keep in mind is that that nine actually existed before the Dunes Nine. And it was designed by Chandler Egan, who did a famous renovation of Pebble Beach in 1929 that gave Pebble Beach a lot of the strategic character that it has now. He was somebody who worked with Alistair McKenzie and really knew what he was doing. And I think that the nine holes that he designed at Pacific Grove were good and have been affected by what has grown up around it. So Pacific Grove is is the first one I'd mention. I also think Poppy Hills is a great deal. Now, it was probably a better deal when I lived there than it is now. Keep in mind that I lived there before the pandemic. And so a lot has changed in golf post-pandemic. There are more crowds at golf courses. Some of the green fees have gone up, et cetera. So I think there's still a good deal to be had at Poppy Hills, especially if you look at the twilight rate, which is almost always really solid. 
And if you're a Northern California Golf Association member, if you're an NCGA member, which I was when I lived there, it's a fantastic value. That's an excellent golf course that got a bad reputation because the first version of that golf course was not very good. Uh, it yeah. was referred to as sloppy poppy. Uh, yeah, it was I feel the... like it generally derided. So I think this means something to have somebody like you vo- put your voice to it because it, it's often been maybe that that's just a prior history that it's not mm-hmm. or, or, you know, people aren't up to speed on what's well, happened. It underwent a complete renovation in the mid 2010s. And in fact, that that renovation was actually by the same firm that initially built it, Robert Trent Jones Jr. But they kept most of the routing, but completely changed the golf holes. They sandcapped the entire site. So it plays really firm out there and redesigned the holes so that there's a lot of strategy, a lot of width, a lot of fun, a lot of character. I think that's an excellent golf course. Now, since I've been there, they've built uh, some houses uh, around it that weren't there before. I think maybe it's, you know, it's it's going downhill instead of going uphill. But the, if the golf holes are still there, then I think it's a, a fantastic place. There there are some holes out there that you're just like, uh, name, name your hot current architect. They would right. have been happy to design a hole that's this strategic and this fun. And then finally... Uh, I'd recommend going to Pasatiempo. You know, you got to drive. It's in Santa Cruz. It's in a different area. But uh, we've talked about Pasatiempo before on the podcast. We probably don't need to go in depth here. But if you go to Monterey, make the trip. Again, the green fee's going up. So I don't know how much longer I'm going to be saying to people, you need to play Pasatiempo because it might get to the point where I'm like, I don't know if I want to recommend a course that is this expensive to play. But still, right now, it is very, very worth it. Um, it's one of the best golf courses in California, one of the best golf courses in America. Go see it. I'm not asking you to savage anything. Um, are there any that you may not? Uh, it's obviously there's a lot of options in the area. I've always heard about Spanish Bay being a particularly, um, I don't know, it's costly to get punched in the face if you're not a great golfer. <laughs> Views, hotel, I hear are fantastic and all that. But is there anything that maybe I don't want to suggest is overrated or you you should not play, you cannot go, but something that you you would not choose to put in your itinerary? All right. Let me break this down into two categories. Okay. If you're just taking a trip to Pebble Beach, you don't want to play a maybe course, more than likely. You don't want to play a course that somebody's like, ah, you could play that or or maybe don't. The maybe courses on my list are Spyglass Hill, Carmel Valley Ranch and Monterey Pines. Now, Monterey Pines doesn't really belong in this category. It's a an affordable military golf course that I played most of my golf at because it has the cheapest green fee in the area, and I really like it, and so I just wanted to mention it. Um, but if you're, if you're on a trip to the area, only maybe play Monterey Pines. Like, there's, you've probably got other things on your itinerary that are, that are more urgent. Is that the one with the airplane lights or the yep. strip on it in the middle of the like the yes. course or whatever? Okay. And right. I love those. Okay. Like it, yeah. it's it's one Sorry. of those little things. Like, yeah, it has it, it's right next to the it's right next to like the airport where all the PJs li- uh land. Right. Okay. It's a golf yeah. course that you see when you're when you're fancy and uh flying into to that airport and you drive out of it and you see a few of the holes and I just always really loved playing golf there. I think the superintendent there does such an awesome job. My my buddy uh, Austin Daniels, um, and so uh, I just wanted to mention it. But yeah, you, okay. you know, if you're on if you're on a dream trip, you're not going to Monterey Pines. Okay. Um, all right, 
the uh, the other maybe courses would be Spyglass Hill and Carmel Valley Ranch. Now, Spyglass Hill, I, it's a classic. I don't ever want to see anybody go there and say, I want to get rid of the Robert Trent Jones here and install more fashionable architecture. Like, I think that course should stay just as it is because it is a classic of its era and of its architect, Robert Trent Jones. The holes in the dunes get most of the attention, and I think that's partly because they're extremely beautiful, close to the ocean, in spectacular dunes, and also they're fun holes to play. Like they're kind of sh- they're shorter because the property is sort of limited around there. They have some quirky greens. The fourth green is is so odd and 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 fun. It's like this really narrow strip with some undulation in it. It's like nothing else Robert Trent Jones built. And then you go to the rest of the course, and it's more familiar Robert Trent Jones stuff with the greens up on ridges, fairways that go down and then up, some ponds in front of greens. You know, if you've seen a Robert Trent Jones course pretty much anywhere, then you'll be familiar with what you get in the inland portions of Spyglass Hill. It's not to say that it's bad. It's a really good test of golfing ability. It's tough. It's very, very expensive. So I'd say that if you're going to Monterey for a few days, that Spyglass Hill is a maybe. Carmel Valley Ranch, kind of the same deal. That's a Pete Dye golf course. It's in Carmel Valley. People don't talk about it very much. I really like a lot of the golf holes out there. There's there's some fun Pete Dye stuff. Uh, main problem with it, from my perspective, is that you cannot walk it. It is impossible to walk. I'm somebody who walks almost every course, even if I'm told in the pro shop, like, you probably shouldn't walk this course. I, I always, always try to walk. Carmel Valley Ranch, you, you can't do it. There's like 10-minute drives in the golf cart between <laughs> certain greens and tees. And so... Yeah, just wanted to mention, a lot of people don't know there's a Pete Dye golf course in the Monterey area. Yeah, so I'm, I'm giving you maybe a curveball here. Um, you've mentioned, you know, Egan. You've mentioned uh, Trent Jones. You've mentioned now Pete Dye, uh, Dye. Like, there have been eras of in continuous development, right? There was a centerpiece like Pebble Beach and Cypress, McKenzie, like these originals. Um, and obviously a lot has sprung up and developed around there. You're talking about houses still being built on Poppy Hills. What is, is there any opportunity left? Is there a no, is there anything like understanding California regulatory environmental, um, costs is, is a challenge. And I, I told you, I, I went to the preserve. Is there like an inland opportunity? Uh, preserve is, you know, a different kind of deal, uh, an interesting round there. Definitely not walkable. Yeah, I, I have not played the preserve. So, uh, so you've, you've definitely, you've been a place that I haven't been. I've it's played, a Tom uh, Fazio course. It's, it's in right. a beautiful location, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of those, it takes a mile, you know, you feel like you're going to fall off the side of the mountain getting there. It takes, a, you know, 20 minutes to go a mile right. because of the drive. I played that round with Brandel. Pretty interesting one day there at the, the preserve. Um, we'll the take this drop. discussion offline. Try, try to remember that 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 round in my head now. Um, oh my goodness! But but that is like a, a that's a Fazio. Like you know, golf is a part of the the area. It has all the land. Has it been maxed out? Do you feel like when you were driving around there as a resident? Wow, that could be an actual new great golf course, whether it's public or or whatever it may be, part of the resort. Um, do you feel like maybe a modern era, there's an opportunity to, to keep building on that, that sort of the legacy of golf in the area. There's plenty of open land around. I mean, there's a lot of it. You've been to the preserve. That's basically nothing but open land out there. Right now. I don't know how they built the preserve. 
<laughs> I don't know how they accomplished that. I really, it's a mystery to me that they were even able to do that. And I just don't think that you can do that anymore in that area. Yeah. Just n- not because there's not enough land, but just because of the regulatory environment and just the fact that there's not really any golf courses being built in California except for some sections of of Napa Valley. So, yeah, I think that we've got basically all the golf courses that we're going to get in that area. But things could change in the future. We'll see. I can't predict what it's going to be like to develop golf courses in California in the 2030s. And so things might change, but right now I really don't see much potential for new stuff being built that more or less stopped. I think with the preserve and if I'm missing a more recent course then my mistake, but it's been a while now. I didn't quite get to the courses that I think you should avoid actively when you go out to, uh, uh, to Monterey. One of those is Spanish Bay. And, okay. you know, I like, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is a terrible golf course. You're looking at the ocean all the time. There's something to be said for that. I have all the respect in the world for Sandy Tatum, who was involved in the design of this course and for Tom Watson, who was also involved, but I just don't, you know, especially at the price point, I don't think it's worth going out there when there are so many other better options. And also, you can go out to Spanish Bay, walk onto the golf course in the evening, and listen to a bagpiper. Go see the bagpiper. It's a little bit touristy. It, it, you, might, you might be cringing at this. You might be saying, oh, that, that sounds, sounds a little bit lame. But I'm telling you, if it's a nice night and a good sunset, and you go out there with the daily bagpiper in the evening, you're going to feel some things. Now, public courses, I don't, I don't want to make a habit of like bashing public courses that are accessible, but there are a couple of courses that get held up as kind of hidden public gems in the Monterey area. And I just want to be honest with people and say that I don't think that these are the places that you should go for public golf in the area. Del Monte, which is owned by the Pebble Beach Company, and is not exactly affordable, not much of a golf course there, but it is kind of the original golf course <laughs> in the area. I, th- I think it's the oldest one. And so I'm not sure what it used to be, but there's there's not much there now that I would recommend. And then the one that really gets kind of whispered about by some people saying like, ooh, this is, you know, you might you might uh, hear about Pacific Grove and Pasatiempo, but go to Bayonet and Black Horse. This is a 36-hole public facility. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I, guess, right. I just don't. I don't think the design's very good. A lot of catch basins. <laughs> not a lot of not a lot of coherent strategy out there. I don't think it's I don't think they're very good golf courses. Um and uh again, I I praise them for being a public facility where people can play on a consistent basis, but if you're choosing among options, go to Pacific Grove, go to Poppy Hills, go to Quail Lodge long before you go to Bayonet and Black Horse. So those are those are my takes there. Anything else you're 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 curious about, Brendan? Uh, no, I mean, I think development was a big one. I, I was kind of thinking of as you've wrist, rattled off these kind of eras. And, and to be to be clear, like, I think I try to, I, you know, I, I operate in this world with you guys, obviously with Andy and, and you and being really sharp minds on the architectural front. I also then try to, like, go and talk to my neighbors and like, what do what do what yeah. do like, you know, just guys going on a trip. Like they want the bagpiper. They want like I don't think I, there's there's something to be said for um, 
like the meaning they get for just walking out on Pebble Beach and playing it and taking a picture and saying they played it. And there, there is a weight to that that I try to appreciate beyond. Um, and I'm not saying you guys don't. Either. I'm not saying you don't either. But like no, when we, we start can to miss consider- this kind of stuff for sure. Right. We are we are deep in the weeds on this stuff. And sometimes that makes you not notice things that like, you know, right uh, to for lack of a better term, normal people might prioritize. The one, the one I always come back to with this is old head. Quite honestly, like old head is architecturally <laughs> offensive. It's right. it's a it's a ripoff. It's expensive, and there's so much great golf you can play in Ireland and, and around. But like these guys that go there, it means something, and they, it's it's cool to them, right? They say I played on the edge of the cliff, and it was stunning. And yes, it, it there we can tell them why it 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 shouldn't. You know, there there's better options, and why they were ripped off, but. Like that is not always the purpose of some of these trips. And I think when we talk about the Monterey and Pebble Beach area, um, a lot of people are going there for some some meaning that uh, gets beyond just their strategic enjoyment or their mm-hmm. enjoyment of the golf, even itself, just the, the golf itself. And, and you know, right. there's pushback on why that's the case. So, yeah, absolutely. And from that perspective, you might promote Spyglass Hill in the recommendations that's a course where they play a big PGA tour tournament every year. That's by a designer that a lot of people know the name of, and that's really challenging and impressive to look at. So spyglass Hill, I've often heard from people is their favorite course in the area. You know, especially when I hear from really good players who don't necessarily consider themselves architecture wonks. I often hear from that type of player, man, Spyglass Hill is so pure. I hear that word a lot associated with Spyglass Hill, pure. So if if you know of a golfer who is, you know, tends to refer to certain golf courses as pure as the highest thing that they can be, and I think usually what they mean by that is that the conditioning is really good and it's pretty and it's challenging. Spyglass Hill is all of those things. The conditioning is absolutely aces for what they're going for there. Well, I I hear that refrain a lot, what you just spoke of, and I never even lived in the area. So yeah, yeah, love Spyglass Hill, like it better than Pebble Beach. You know, you 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 hear that a lot. Um, And so yeah, you gotta we've got to give some airing to to that feeling uh, about the place for sure. All right. Um, Well, thank you so much, Brendan, for uh, for bearing with me through the uh, Monterey gift guide. Uh, I thought I hope that was uh, informative and, and fun for people to hear about. It's an area that, that I really have a lot of affection for and I uh, can't wait to see the U.S. Women's Open go there. Um, so thanks a lot, Brendan. Talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Garrett. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast was edited by Matt Rusius. Thank you, Matt. I wanted to take a moment here at the end to talk about an upcoming event that the fried egg is holding. It's called The Junction. It's on August 18th, and it's being held at Common Ground Golf Course near Denver, Colorado. Common Ground is, to me, one of the most special places in American golf. First of all, it's an extraordinarily well-designed public golf course. Tom Doak and his crew reimagined this course on a low budget and just did so many interesting things out there, like genuinely 
innovative things that you have to see. You have to see these greens, the way they built the bunkers, the way they figured out the strategies of the holes on a fairly quiet piece of ground. I mean, there's just so much fascinating design out there that, you know, I think goes beyond like just being good public golf. This is really great modern golf design. And I think anybody who's interested in where architecture is going next should go see Common Ground. The other part of Common Ground that's so special to me is the Caddy Academy that they have there. If you go to Common Ground, you can get a young caddy to go out and carry your bag. And these kids are just delightful. You know, I I really like having uh, a caddy who's a, a teenager and somebody who's just getting started in life and who's out there trying to do things. And that really characterizes the common ground caddies that I've had. I think it's a model for what a caddy program can be in the 21st century. So not only do you get a really fantastic golf course, but you also have access to the experience of a caddy in a way that you very rarely get in public golf. So those are two things that I really love about Common Ground and two reasons that going out to this event at the Junction, I think would be a great idea for anybody who's able to go. It's on August 18th and it's right around the the U.S. Amateur. So you could, if you're going to go to the U.S. Amateur uh, in in Cherry Hills, which is uh, not far away, then going to this event would fit right into the itinerary. So search for it online. You can find more information about the Junction event at Common Ground on our Friday events page uh, at Golf Genius. So check that out, and we hope to see you out there. All right. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. (laughs) 